Hello and welcome to Midnight Showing. I'm Nash, that's Luke, and this week, the movie we watched at midnight was George Miller's Mad Max. Was it worth it? That's what we're here to tell you, and don't worry, we will notify you before we start spoiling. Luke. Yo, Nashy, are we allowed to watch Mel Gibson movies? <laughs> <laughs> he has officially been banned. <laughs> I'm not, I mean, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not trying to get into any, any of that, but I just wasn't sure. <laughs> um, yo, yeah, it, cool movie, dude. You know, like most most people our generation, I'm going to I'm gonna say that I only saw Fury Road because everyone was like the hype of this movie. To be honest with you, dude, I never really heard of Mad Max before, before Fury Road. Have this been a movie that's been in your life like forever? Well, see, that was the crazy thing is because I, like, I forget how I came across it, but I'm pretty sure it was with my own. I was just, like, looking up Mel Gibson or something. Yeah. Because I love The Patriot. <laughs> <laughs> uh, refer to episode the- <laughs> nine if you, uh, you want to hear more about that. <laughs> yeah, if you want to hear me ramble on about how much I love The Patriot. <laughs> but I was just searching up his movies like Mad Max. Okay, cool. So I had really no context to it uh, before that, but I think you make a good point with most people, um, especially if they're roughly our age, they sort of came across Mad Max with Fury, or not, not Fury Road, Road Warrior. Road Warrior is the sequel, correct? Yeah, Road Warrior is the second one in the Mel Gibson trilogy. Yeah. Um, and that's And that's honestly, I think, the best way that's kind of been just... By, other than people I've talked to about it, it's sort of if in uh, in South Park. <laughs> okay. I, I think it, I think it's Kyle. It's either Kyle or Stan, but in there in his room he has a poster of Mel Gibson in Road Warrior. Does he really? I never noticed. Yeah. That. Hmm. And and so that's that's how I think it's just kind of that one is sort of the big iconic one um, that most people are familiar with, and a lot of people don't really even know too much about the first one or just haven't seen it it's definitely a movie that your dad's probably seen yo big facts yo have you you ever seen the music video for california love by tupac no (laughs) because i'm pretty sure that they're making fun of the thunderdome or not making fun of it but they're referencing the thunderdome so whenever anyone says take me to the thunderdome or like that music video that was also the only ever time i've ever heard mad max mentioned like ever (laughs) there's a tupac music video and they've isn't there a mad max video game too dude there is i know i know of one that's kind it's it's a newer it's not like an old game it didn't come out with these old ones that they're probably there probably was an older one for like the like SNES or something like that. Yeah, there's one that Warner Brothers came out with um, a few years ago. That's pretty fun. It's pretty yeah, fun. Pre- pre- it, pretty fun game. To play. Yeah, so I think I think it's it's interesting that it's a movie like a movie trilogy that I never really heard of. It's definitely not as popular as like the Lord of the Rings trilogy or the Indiana Jones trilogy in like any way. So it's um it's interesting to me that I really had never heard about it at all, but it's clearly a pretty influential piece of just like American culture and Australian culture, I guess. That was a mess up. We can get into the Australian stuff later. Um how about we get into the cast? Do we kind of uh just stuck around on the title? <laughs> the film for a minute there um so we got mel gibson as uh matthew or is it max i'm not sure um god <laughs> that was it i'm sorry people i, know I I'm not get funny. it i got it i got it i got it um and then joanne samuel as jesse and then uh hugh keys brine as toe cutter not only is that a phenomenal character name he also plays a morton joe in the new movies correct 
Yeah, yeah. So he's the antagonist in the first and the most recent Mad Max movie. Pretty, pretty cool. And now George Miller hasn't done a lot of movies. He's the director. Hasn't done a lot of movies. He's most famous for doing the Mad Maxes. He's done all of them. Yeah. But <coughs> Luke discovered that he's also the director <laughs> of Happy Feet and Big Pig in the City. <laughs> Bay and Pig in the City. Bay Pig. Big Pig in the Bay City. Bay Pig. Bro, dude, I watched Happy Feet like a month ago probably. If, if you rewatch it, you'd be surprised how strangely sexual it is. What? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Watch it next time and just like pay attention to it. And like those penguins are dirty, bro. I feel like this episode's off to a weird start, and that's totally appropriate because this is a very weird movie. Big facts uh, in, in, in relation to the other ones. But um, let's jump into this world. Oh, can I do it? Can I do it? Oh. Of, course, of course. The story takes place in Australia. I've never been to Australia. I hope to go someday. Takes place in Australia amidst a global fuel shortage some years after 1979. We follow Max, an MFP officer, after he and his unit have a run-in with Toe Cutter's vicious biker game on their cross-country journey to acquire more fuel and pretty much just wreak havoc in every imaginable way. Yeah, they're not a good bunch. No, not people I would want to hang out with on a Saturday night, that's for sure. And, uh... Honestly, most of, of you're gonna learn everything about this movie in the trailer. Yeah, um, weird trailer. I didn't think it, weird trailer. I didn't think it was a very good trailer. I to do. Be honest, me neither. Me neither. There were two versions because this movie was originally only released in Australia, and then it was released uh, internationally after. Maybe it was I forget who, but an American uh, film company picked it up, bought it um, after the Australian release. And it was released a year later. And both of them, the Australian one and the American one, are just bad trailers. Yeah. They feel very they feel very dated. Um they really only show the action stuff of the movie. Like the the climaxes too, dude. Like they yeah. they give away some of the climax action which is not good looks. Yeah, because this isn't like because I feel like in action movies, they have unnecessary amounts, you know, where it's like, all right, things just blew up because you could blow it up. Where in this one, pretty much every time there's an action scene, something pivotal is happening. Yeah. Yes, it's, exactly, it's not, exactly, yeah. Yeah. They're, they're big sort of moments. It's not just like a bunch of crazy explosions and gunfights. Yeah, which is um, a really, really interesting, um, like, kind of way that the plot unfolds, which made this movie not really what I was expecting it to be. But, of course, we can get to that when we really start discussing it. Yeah, we're going to get... Oh, we're going to get into that. So, just to round up the trailer, it feels, like, way too long. Um, and, honestly, it can also feel like a necessary thing to watch before you see the movie, because... The trailer is going to literally tell you everything that the movie is going to show you. Yes. And so it makes everything a little bit more obvious for the setting because they aren't very descriptive about it in their words. 
Exactly, and that's something I want to get into in the discussion too, because you and I have people have been watching for 19 episodes now. Like it when movies show us and don't tell us. Yeah, and this movie, this movie is like interesting in that way because it shows us, but I'm not really sure if it shows us well. But we'll discuss that. Yeah, and uh, you you want to get into some uh, some some themes, some motifs we can expect yeah. the audience can expect to see. Well, um, <laughs> this one kind of came after I watched the trailer, but I felt like the movie was trying to define what it means to be a hero in a small way. And um, I say small way because it's I don't think it's the focal point of the movie is is Mad Max a good guy or a bad guy, but a lot of um, situations are presented to him and the audience that kind of make you question that humanity and like what does it mean to protect people and like be the hero of the world, the wasteland, is there a hero in the wasteland? Kind of the idea like that, and that's all kind of... Um, right up against the complete and total savage nature of the biker gang. And this biker gang is not just like like rough and tough beat people up biker gang. This is like some rob zombie devil's reject ass biker gang people who will like just hurt you for no reason and do unspeakable things. So the motifs and themes for me was kind of just trying to define not even like they say the word hero a lot in the movie but even like not even specifically a hero but just a force in a place that is extremely chaotic what does it mean to be that force in the chaotic universe trying to create some type of order do you feel what i'm trying to get to yeah no i think that's a very good way to put it um and you should probably well i guess we'll tell them if they should see it or not right now in this thumbs up or down segment <laughs> so luke Thumbs up or down? Uh, thumbs up, dude. I think it's a like a pretty pretty good movie, but again, it was not what I was expecting, so I'm excited to get into it. Yeah, no, I gotta give it a thumbs up too. It's definitely an interesting watch. So, now that we've given you a taste of the movie, we really don't want to spoil anything for anyone that hasn't seen it. It was released in 1979, so you're a little late, but still. So, if you haven't already, like and subscribe to our channel. Pause this video so you can check this one out for yourself before we ruin it for you. <laughs> so, picking up where we sort of left off on the trailer side of it. Um, seeing the movie, it's very undefined. Yes, that's a really good As, adjective to use. <coughs> if you're going into this movie. So, what you'll see is, if you, like, Google it, most of the reviews are going to say it's an it's a post-apocalyptic movie. Um, so, what was that movie that we did? Children of Men. Yes. Um, where, I, I, you Google it, a lot of things will probably say post-apocalyptic movie, but in this one, even the trailer says it, like, four times. Mm -hmm. I don't I don't agree with it being a post-apocalyptic movie. Would you say it's pre-post-apocalypse? Like, it's still the apocalypse, but it's just a little bit beforehand, you know? You're, yeah, I think you're dead on in the apocalypse. It's not after the apocalypse. The apocalypse is happening. It is the current Concurrently. Time. Concurrent apocalypse. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it is happening in that time. It isn't after the major events. The major events are happening. We're yeah. We're seeing the end phase of it. But we're still seeing society is still there to some degree. It hasn't been reformed. It hasn't been remade. It is the society that we are familiar with dying out, which is an apocalypse movie. And I know that's nitpicky, but 
it does make a big difference when you watch a movie like that yeah. to sort of understand. Big facts. And the fact that I, have, I haven't seen Road Warrior or Beyond the Thunderdome yet, but seeing Fury Road and knowing how that movie is straight up in the apocalypse, like the definition of a wasteland evil, coming back to this um, not-so-distant future, as they put it in the movie, it was interesting to yeah. see how the, the world hadn't just gone to, to, um, to, to crap, like, immediately, you know? Like, um, yeah. It's definitely interesting in that way, and that really, like, kind of defines the entire plot, because I feel like the plot, like I mentioned before, is trying to put you up against those really savage ideas and the nature of humans, if you will, and, like, um, it's... Yeah, it's a it's a it's a catalyst for everything that happens in the movie is the fact that we're still in kind of a gray area between is this society yeah. or is this not society. So there's essentially, from what I understand, there's no real cities, there's no real camaraderie between people. Instead, it's mostly just these long highways and small towns yeah. with random people everywhere. You know, another thing I just thought about is that like we're in Australia too. So Australia is like a continent, but it's essentially just a giant island not connected to the rest of like America and then like Africa and like like um China and like the other continents and like everything. So do you think that has another big factor on the way that the story unfolds because we're only looking on this one area of the world that isn't really connected to any other area when you think about it like that? Yeah, I think that's a very good uh, introduction to sort of how the movie is the movie is sort of made around very realistic viewpoints. Yeah, very. Um, it it's down it's down to earth in how it's made. It's not like some ridiculous sci-fi Blade Runner. Yeah, it's not like Blade Runner, or it's you know not some crazy Fifth Element. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. It's not something bananas and out there it's a lot of it is sort of written around actual experiences um from miller from the director and writer uh, oh he's not who kind of wrote it he got help <laughs> can you but, can uh, you can you elaborate on that what kind of things did george miller bring to the script yeah so really interesting how this movie sort of came together because miller was a doctor at um an emergency clinic yeah and he had actually seen a lot of burn victims a lot of car crash victims in the area where he grew up like he had three friends i think die um from car crashes caused by you know young drivers so this is very familiar to him and also just how australia itself is laid out uh like you said earlier a lot of australia like most the a vast majority of the population is on the coast where there's close to no one a few miles out of the coastline. So these sort of long stretches of roads is kind of accurate to how it is now, or how, how it was then, where you would see just there isn't a city here, and you could just go miles and miles and miles, and you'll see a couple houses. Yeah, okay. And so that, that I think, really plays into it, where a lot of it is based in that realism that you see, and I think that helps tell the story but the story doesn't ever say that yes and that's why i got hung up on the post-apocalyptic thing in the trailer in the reviews because you see it so often it's like it's not post-apocalyptic and that's what an audience member kind of needs to understand before they go see it is now you're watching the apocalypse and for people who are kind of confused by what i'm saying 
the apocalypse is the big event that end the world. Yeah. So it's like when the dinosaurs were eradicated, the meteor was the apocalypse. Dinosaurs were actually oh. a conspiracy, but continue. Okay. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> Great. <laughs> that was a joke, everybody. Please understand. I, <laughs> we're going to get us canceled. And, it, and any, anyway, so the meteor hitting the Earth, that's the apocalypse. The mammals adapting later, that's the post-apocalypse. Yeah. That's a, that's after the cataclysmic event that destroyed everything. Now that, that's yeah, what that's, apocalypse. That's, that's, that's definitely an important an important distinction to make. Yeah, and so in this one, the cataclysmic event is that the world runs out of fuel, and all the other, all the nations react to it with war, um, and the environment just gets wrecked because global warming. Yeah. So that's kind of, that that's the big motivation is what we see in this movie too. Like that's why we actually have a police force. Yeah. Yeah, that's what that's what I want I wanted to speak on like those kind of two two things. I wanted to speak on the police force still being a thing and um, we can talk about like the weird court system scene too, but also there's newscasts which I found really interesting and in that like if this was post-apocalyptic like I don't know Book of Eli or like I Am Legend there wouldn't there wouldn't be a production team putting on an, a newscast <laughs> you know what I mean like that would be post-apocalypse so I thought that was a really good indication that we're not in the thick of it just yet but we're getting to those points and uh, briefly just to say it, that possibly is a catalyst for the rest of the series as a whole as to where this movie starts in this part very specifically just so they can escalate everything to actually being the apocalypse so it's definitely important to know that and what i wanted to bring up when it comes to the police fort and the court system and stuff is that like that court scene in the very beginning after they catch uh, johnny boy or whatever like um it's in a wicked rundown building like the place is like smashed up and like nobody shows up to the court date and like doesn't really matter and then the kid just gets to walk free it's like it's very clear that the um M mfp i think is what the acronym is it's very clear that they're trying to hold on to some type of structure so that like everything doesn't go insane but the structure isn't there anymore like there is no court system they're just doing their best to try to keep people safe but like they can't even really do that that well with what's going on but at the same time we got like newscasts and stuff going on so it's really hard to kind of define that ambiguous area of how far into the apocalypse we actually are and i think it was all intentional and to be honest i kind of like it a little bit because it makes the movie really mysterious in that way and extremely unique you know yeah it's an incredibly unique setting like that scene where the lawyers are going to release him and you actually see like the police precinct, and it's just totally empty. Yeah, it looks like a. It looks kind of on the interior. It looks just like a rundown building. Yeah, like that. Like that. That really paints the the broadest picture for everything. That okay, you've got this lawyer, but then you don't have any sort of state trooper or judge or anybody. You just got six police officers there that don't like what the what the lawyer had to say. Yeah, exactly. So, like, how much structure is actually there? Not that much, clearly, but it's still enough for us to grab onto and see that this is a not-too-distant future. And, you know, that's a really, that's a really interesting thing in films, because it's so much, it's so easy to start your movie 30 years in the future when everything's already blown up and you have your lone hero who is going to save the world. I think it's a lot more interesting to just kind of show 
how people would actually react in that situation and i feel like if there actually was an oil shortage in real life it would be a very slow descent into madness it wouldn't just be flip a switch and on tuesday next week every half of the world is dead and all of us are just mad max crazed you know yeah and that's kind of probably the biggest focus of the whole movie is that holding on to something most people that we're seeing in the movie that are you would label as good or whatever they hold on to that past life that old way of living that is slowly fading out whereas the villains people that were actually bad or actually like you know doing nefarious things before the apocalypse it just gave them a free pass to do whatever they want anarchy is starting to become the biggest driving force yeah so that and that's where we that's why max's character is so interesting especially in this one this especially in this first one it's the most unique character development it's some of the most unique character development i've seen when you stack up all the other movies with it okay yeah because he doesn't you, you'd say Max is the good guy in the beginning, right? Yeah, for sure. By the end sure. of the movie, by the end of the movie, he really isn't a good guy. He's more like an anti-hero. Yeah, yeah. Well, his he goes after the biker game in like pure revenge. Like he didn't have some vendetta with them until they hurt his own people, right? Yeah, exactly. And that, that that's another good point. Is it's, it's hard to call this movie for me personally just a revenge movie on its own even though there are like four different points of revenge in it yeah right (laughs) like revenge is the biggest driving force between all of these characters getting revenge on each other yet i i see it has more to do with that pulling away from this old society yeah that yeah and that's that's really interesting we can even go back like two weeks to jeremiah johnson where the revenge plot didn't pop well the like well there's several revenge plots in mad max but the revenge plot with the main character didn't really unfold till the last literal 20 minutes of the movie and which again is just that's a really interesting way to tell your story you know because when i when you do it that way i feel like you're really not specifically trying to tell max's story but you're trying to tell the story of the apocalypse you know what i mean yeah, like, his watching Max is sort of kind of like, this could happen to anybody. Like, this is how people, like, fall into that post-apocalyptic lifestyle. Yeah, like some killing, they, some, they, some killing joke type motifs and stuff. They Yeah, they come to terms with anarchy. Like, they accept mm, it. And that this I really is like the that. Wa- I really like that. Coming to terms with anarchy. I think that's a really good way to define the movie. Yeah, and, uh... It happens very well. What you said about Jeremiah Johnson, I remember we were watching this movie, and it's like 20 minutes at the end. I remember I told you, it was like, and Mad Max is born. (laughs) And we had watched like an hour and a half of the movie. A while, a while of the movie, yeah. And, And then the actual character with that type of character, with his character traits that are familiar in all the other movies, we finally see it. Yeah. And, you know, That's, it's... Uh, sorry sorry to interrupt, but... No, you're good. It's interesting like that because they could have done it so many other ways where the revenge thing happens in the beginning and Max's whole movie is about fighting these bikers. But no, instead it's really just like that last dramatic action. So it's 
Max is a not a strange character, but I feel like his character development is str is strange because we're almost looking at this world through his lens, but we almost don't care too much about him until we have to. You know what I mean by that? So like, yeah, we really started to care about Max and his family at the end when everything starts going wrong for them. But for the first like 40 or 50 minutes for me personally, I didn't really like see the movie as being just Mel Gibson's movie. I saw it as being everybody involves movie. And I feel like you can't say that about a lot of uh, films, you know? Yeah, that's more to speak um, about how interesting his character his di the dialogue for this character. Yeah, okay. Because I think you've got a lot of minor roles that have more lines than him. Yeah, yeah, right? That's super unique, yeah. And that's kind of goes back to uh, Miller said that he wanted to make a silent film with talking. <laughs> and it's like this, this movie is <clears throat> very far from silent. There, there's not a ton of dialogue in it. But Max, the main character, talks some of the least for as much of the screen, that as much of the time that you see him on screen. And even when he does talk, he's very, like, three-word sentences and stuff like that. Yeah, exactly. He's got maybe, like, one monologue with his wife. Yeah. And to relate it to Fury Road down the road, you know, you watch Fury Road and people make jokes that Tom Hardy just got an easy check because he just had to grunt the whole time. But now that I've seen Mad Max with Mel Gibson, I understand more about the character and how that he was already a really stoic, quiet guy, and then they just took it away from him. They took away the only thing he loved in the world. Nice job, guys. It's a good way to create somebody who wants to kill you. And now he's just even more stoic than he already was, which was extremely stoic. And so, yeah, dude, that's just, it's a really unique main character and a really unique lens to tell a story. And in terms of, like... You know, let's say Lord of the Rings creates its world. Like, um, I was about to say Morrowind. It's not Morrowind, it's Middle-Earth. <laughs> Middle-Earth is its own world that he created through those characters. This is kind of the same way where we're seeing this oil-dependent um, apocalypse through these characters rather than seeing Mel Gibson in the apocalypse. Am I making sense? Like, it's not about Mel Gibson, it's about the apocalypse, but Mel yeah. Gibson is how we see the apocalypse. Do you agree with that? Yeah, and, and his he doesn't sort of block up seeing it with dialogue. Yeah. Uh, yes, he, he, yes. He shows you that transformation. Yeah, 100%. Of people. Mm -hmm. um, but I know you did mention earlier about how you wanted to talk about um, the slight incoherency you got from that. Well, you know, I'm going to be honest. I had to rewatch this movie. I had to rewatch like 40 minutes of it just because... I just missed it. I don't know if I, I just, like, wasn't, like, on my A-game. So, like, the middle of the movie, it just, like, felt like it was beating around a lot of bushes and, like, making me focus on stuff that I was confused why I was focused on it. And then at the end, it kind of came more to fruition when it becomes more about Max and everything. So... Excuse me. At the beginning I've, um, of, the, of this review, I said that I wasn't sure how much I liked it because it did feel confusing in the way that they were showing us the world. So let's relate it to Children of Men, right? Children of Men, the first scene with the explosion in the coffee shop sets that world up perfectly. Mad Max starts with the chase scene with the crazy guy, which also sets up the world pretty well. But after that happens, I feel like we don't focus specifically on Max. Instead, 
there's all the stuff about Toe Cutter's gang and their rivalry with, with Johnny Goose and like when he gets set on fire and all that stuff. Like, it takes its time with making Mel Gibson the main character, which I think goes to everything we've been talking about in the past couple minutes. And so that's that was just kind of my my take on it was that, like I wasn't sure how much I liked it because I felt a little confused watching it but at the same time that just could have been me like not interpreting it in the correct way because I'm pretty sure this was like the second or third time you've seen this movie right yeah. so you were you were you were at that point of paying attention to it where you knew everything that was going to happen so you could catch the extra stuff this was my first dive into it and as the perspective of being my first dive into it I was a little like what am I? This is a weird movie, <laughs> you know. Like yeah. this is weird. No, I, Why am I focusing I, on this? I would totally agree with that because it does put it really pushes that boundary of when to show and what, like how much to show and how much to tell. Yeah. And the, I I totally agree with you. I think it does. It is hard to pick up everything on your first watch, just because. A lot of the world seems familiar. You see a lot of, you know, uh, things of the same era, you know, that are there. You you don't see so much of the despair. Mm-hmm. But it's like people haven't gotten there yet. Like, the cities are gone, so you just don't see them. Yes. Yeah. But, you know, that's, that's kind of hard to... That needs a bit of explanation, maybe. Yeah, well, and the, dude, like, the, the newscast really, really, like, trips me up. Because, like, where is the newscast coming from? Is there a city? Are there people who still watch the news every night? Like, how many people are there in this world? Like, those are, like, you might define them as nitpicky questions, but it's kind of just me trying to understand the world of Mad Max a little bit more. And I feel like they just kind of explain the world in- ambiguously. You know what I mean? Yeah, I I agree with that. It makes sense why they got reviews for it where people said that they didn't know what was going on. It was just, you know, it was just about violence and all that. Yeah, exactly. If you you compare sort of the only – I'm trying to think of other movies with, like, radio signals. The only one that comes to mind is, like, Terminator Salvation, where it's, like, the only radio, like – thing that you're getting are those emergency broadcast signals that they're trying to put up oh yeah okay one emergency broadcast signal that they're putting up like that's the familiar post-apocalypse post-apocalypse radio yeah that's what we that's what we're all familiar with Mm -hmm. because there isn't any structure left to actually have a news brief or anything Mm -hmm. we're here it's kind of confusing it's like everything seems sort of desolate the structures and and the infrastructure is relatively there physically, but n- nobody's there to maintain it. Yeah. Yes. Main. Yeah. Maintaining is the right word. Yeah. So it's like it's almost like every, there are things that are too new to fully grab onto the fact that everything's you know out there. Like when uh, what's that goose? Yeah. When he starts chasing them, and then you see those tow trucks immediately chase after him, that's kind of a, those are kind of conflicting ideas. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Exactly. But, yeah. But it sort of makes sense in the context where okay, well, if they're in a world in the you know living with minimal resources, 
if you know that these guys, these guys always end up with these crashes and stuff, yeah, you're gonna go chase them down because then you're gonna have a bunch of like materials. You're gonna have, you're gonna have vehicles, scrapped vehicles. You can do something with with what yeah, you pick up there, for sure. Look at you already in the mindset of how you would be in the apocalypse. <laughs> <laughs> every day, every day, I'm waiting. Yeah, right. Yeah, dude. So like, so that's I. You know, I think it was a really. It's okay. We got a lot of interesting stuff going on. So we got an interesting apocalypse because it's not really the apocalypse, but it's pre. We have an interesting plot structure because it's not focused on a specific character's progression, but instead the progression of the world. Then we also have an interesting main character because of the way that he interacts with the world and how he interprets everything and how he eventually changes. And all three of those interesting things are things that aren't done mainstream in filmmaking you know like you're not like a marvel movie isn't going to be set up this way is the point i'm trying to make so that was really interesting to me and at the same time it also didn't turn me off the movie but just made me be like what the heck did i just watch and now that i rewatched it and i'm going over it with you now i'm really understanding what i think george miller was going for and i can understand why people back then and even today would watch this movie and be like that just looked like a bunch of car crashes and blood. Why are you watching this, you know? Yeah. And it, it kind of, um, it's sort of like, it helps under, it helps to give understanding to why uh, movies have prequels. Like, actually has prequels rather than, like, why didn't you start with the origin story? Yeah. It's like, this is why. Yeah. Th- this is why you do that, because everything that's unclear well you've already seen them later on so you go into the prequel with an understanding yes Whereas this one it starts off like here's everything being defined yeah exactly so, dude exactly so getting it for the first time of course it's not going to be as fluid as revisiting it or revisiting a concept you already understand yeah, right, and, like, let's say even the most mainstream one possible, Star Wars. Like, Star Wars is cool because you don't really know what's going on for that new hope. There's just this evil Darth Vader dude who looks like space demon with all, all black and everything, and then, you know, we'll... Don't have to speak about the prequels, but the prequels just tried to define more of that ambiguous space of what the actual, like, thing was, you know what I mean? And it's like... That's what Star Wars started right in the middle of that conflict instead of giving us episode one, one, which, I mean, if they started with episode one back then, I don't know if it would have been as famous, but... No, exactly, because, like, you'd be wondering, why aren't they mentioning the midi-chlorians? Yeah, whatever. (laughs) Who cares? You'd be like, like, why aren't they mentioning those? Or, like, why am I just... Why is this old man just now telling me, like, things about the Force? Yeah, you've known about it since episode one. Yeah, for real. Yeah, they wouldn't make a lot of sense because they don't, that isn't their focus. It isn't to set up. But that's why I don't feel like this movie was supposed to have sequels. Okay, yeah, I feel that too. Like, that's why, that's what really brings me to the part where it's more about max is representational of the circumstances of the situation that everybody's in rather than it's straight up just about max because his character is developed totally differently in this one than all the others in this one you have the ending of okay 
he's he's sort of lost his humanity a little bit. He's become more evil than he was at the start of the movie. Whereas in all the other ones, you're kind of just like, yeah, I guess he ends up being a good guy. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't even know if I'd use the word evil, dude. But you know, not to sound the cliche, but it would be mad, right? Mad, like in like insane, would be the correct word for that, right? Because you just yeah. see that slow descent into madness and. Back to the savage nature of the bad guys, I feel like that's kind of what their driving force is, is just how crazy can this world be, and he just gets slowly sucked into that. Yeah, and it's a great comparison to make because he ends up doing exactly what they did to his friend Goose, but with a little bit more options. Which is awesome. That was a sick scene, dude. He's like, take about ten minutes to cut through this. If you're lucky, you can do it in five Oh, damn, yeah. bro, that was hard. And uh, a big thing about this movie, too, why why they definitely made a sequel, was because for a very long time, it held the Guinness World Record for, like, uh, biggest or largest uh, box office gain. They, it cost them $400,000 to make it, and they ended up making a hundred million dollars off of it. George Miller was probably a happy man. That's a lot of, oh yeah. And to help fund the movie, George Miller and I forget the other guy's name. It's mixed something. Um, they were emergency response. They were in like emergency medical response vehicles with one of them driving and Miller being the doctor for him. <laughs> that's so savage, dude. It's it's crazy. Like that's why this movie like I think really hits at home even though it isn't as fluid as it could be is because yeah. it's very grounded in real stuff. It's it's very grounded. Very well grounded. All right. You got any more points? Um, I mean, you know, we really definitely talked about the motif. We definitely really talked about the motifs and um, themes of this movie, definitely. So, do you want to kind of briefly <laughs> touch upon like the actual production of how crazy the car crashes are and like the pure amount of them? And they must have destroyed so much crap making this movie, bro. Like, like not only yeah. not we just talked about how interesting the plot unfolds, but not only is it an interesting plot, but it's definitely a well-made movie for being in 1979 stunts everybody like really just i feel like everything was just going the right way for these guys while they were making it you feel me yeah um i mean all all the uh actors um they originally wanted to get like an american actor to be max but they it was gonna cost too much and then the movie would all just be about that actor so they picked up mel gibson who is a very young actor as you'll see in the movie, he'd only been in a few other productions before. Um, all the biker gang guys were actually in a biker gang, and they actually had to drive their own bikes all the way to the production because they couldn't be flown in. That's crazy. That's crazy. Which is a- absolutely insane. You couldn't, you couldn't get away with that nowadays. Um, but a big thing about all those crashes, and there are a lot of them, is there aren't any worthless ones. Like in action movies, you typically see something's going to blow up for the sake of it blowing up. Whereas this one, all of those very action-filled scenes are pretty pivotal moments. 
they're not just like trying to catch your yeah. eye with something blowing up. They're no, the story is developing and this is the climax of this is this portion of it. Yeah, no, for for sure. That was a point you made um, when we were back in the intro of this episode, and I think that's a really good. Uh, that's another good way to define the uniqueness of this movie is that it's not centered around those actions, but those actions are just catalysts to get to the next point. And you know, I feel like you know a lot of the reviews were saying it was just a savage movie that was just unnecessary, and only people who would like this are people who like violence, but. You know, I feel like that was, like, a fair interpretation because they were trying to, like, make the movie not around that stuff but around that stuff. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah, and it's pretty graphic. It's not... Because that's the thing. There aren't, like, too many ridiculously violent deaths. You see a guy lose his hand. You see some guys get shot. Oh, when her eye pops out when they hit her with the bike. Yeah. You know, that's pretty gruesome. There's there's some rapes, at least one. Like, that's pretty intense stuff. Disturbing, definitely. I'm not sure where I was going with that. Uh, it's not but, it's not it's yeah it's just a it's just a it's just a crazy movie dude and you know you know all the only thing separating Max from that savagery is a bronze badge. Yeah, exactly. That's really what it all boils down to. So, without uh, anything else left to discuss about this movie, let's uh, try to categorize it. Okay. Because it is hard. I can't define it as an action movie. I wouldn't define it as an action movie. It's too... The action, the action that does happen is too pivotal for it to just be labeled an action movie. Um... You can't really define it as a sci-fi because they're not using anything that's like unheard of or unrealistic. I guess it's just an apocalypse movie, right? A drama, I guess. <laughs> drama, an apocalypse drama. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like it's, drama it's, is such a catch-all, dude. It uh, yeah, that's true. Does drama do things? Do people do things in this movie? Yes, yes, they do. <laughs> it's dramatic. But it really is hard to be that specific. I, I guess I just call it an apocalypse movie. This so, is a, you know, man. This is a unique movie, a unique review, and a unique categorization of the movie. Definitely. Yeah, it's it's hard to pin down so generically. Um, would you recommend this to your friends? Yeah, I don't think all my friends would be into it, but I would recommend it to to my friends. Yeah, I would. Yeah, especially just because, like, Fury Road, and they're going to come out with another Mad Max movie in a few years or so. Yeah, so it's only been I, announced, so it probably won't come out for a decent amount of time. Yeah, so if they like that, I would definitely suggest they watch all this, just because it makes watching the newer ones... More enjoyable, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're good movies, dude. You know, they 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 it's well. I mean, I don't know about the other ones, but this one was definitely a really a, like a good movie. Definitely a good movie. Yeah. Um, family. Would you recommend it to your family? I mean, some of them, not all of them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is a hard general family one because it's not too. You wouldn't sit down with your grandmother and watch this. No, my grandma <laughs> probably, probably not. My grandma doesn't even have a TV in her house, bro. <laughs> well, you literally wouldn't do that. <laughs> Is it a cult classic? Yeah, um, definition. Of yeah, one, I, I for think sure. I think it 
I think it was it. Uh, the fans really for this when it was originally re- originally released really grew it into something pretty huge, and the box offices proved that. Yep. Is yeah. this on a cinephile's much must watch list? Yeah, I'd say so. I would too because it really does bring a lot of uniqueness without going overboard. It doesn't it doesn't rely on CGI or special effects. It's practical and it's heavily based in realism, but it's a totally unique story. Yeah, I'm starting I'm starting to notice how unique older movies are in the way that they develop their plots and the way that dramatic actions and stuff unfold because I feel like it is definitely way different than current filmmaking and even movies we've done from the 90s like movies from the 70s and movies from the 90s are just different and I've noticed that doing all these movies and this is another one that's just an interesting way that the plot unfolds that might be a way you've never seen done before you know yeah like it is pretty cool to see the origin story first <laughs> yeah no, straight up straight up and that seems like simple like what do you mean yeah uh, of course the origin story first but like this one does a pretty good job of like it's really about everything not just about that origin but at the same time it is about that origin uh, i hope this was a good review dude i feel like this whole review we've just been like well it is but it isn't but it is but it isn't i don't know <laughs> <laughs> i think it's been pretty good i've enjoyed it so with all that being said, definitely check this movie out. But who in uh, Australia is doing our beats this week? Uh, my boy Rain at Bismuth Beats. And then, of course. I mean, Schwartz. His name's not... What? I'm going to bleep that out. You can never know his first name. But it's <laughs> Schwartz did the opening song. Okay. <laughs> okay. Didn't know there was a lot of politics behind our intro outro music, but apparently there is. So please be sure to like and subscribe to our channel. Follow us on Instagram to stay in the loop for upcoming episodes and help us determine the movies we watch and the future content we can bring to you. Be sure to check us out at ambiguouspodcastsolutions.com and remember your donations keep my blue light on. This week, the Cinema Gods have blessed our viewers as Luke and I release our first ever special focusing on the remaining movies in the Mad Max series, including Fury Road. Uh, You can check out this extra content uh, tomorrow and Sunday, and be sure to vote on our Instagrams for upcoming things for us to yell about. About to hang out with Mel Gibson all weekend, baby. Don't. No, you're not. (laughs) You don't have have a quote for me, dude? Um, I'm, I'm, I'm scared, Nash. You know why? Why? It's a rat circus out there. And I'm, begin- <laughs> I'm, I'm beginning to enjoy it. <laughs> oh, man, they just don't make rat circuses like they used yeah, to. They really don't. All right, I'll see y'all tomorrow, actually. Everybody like mutton? <laughs>